The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And really good to be with everyone again this morning. Thank you for showing up here online or at the city center or watching later. And we talk about this path as this coming together of tranquility and insight. And one of the beautiful things about these 16 instructions that we've been studying since August, I think, or maybe late July, the Buddha's teachings on Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, it's not really just about breathing, it's about the whole path of awakening. It's just that the breath serves as a kind of grounding in the present moment. Because when we're no longer aware that breathing in or breathing out is happening, probably we're distracted. <laughs> so it sort of sits after the first few steps. The breath is in the background. But awareness can be quite inclusive. So even though different aspects of the mind, like joy, contentment, the activity of mind, the quieting of the mind, that might be, those qualities might be in the foreground. The breath is still there in the background. And this is really the work now of the second tetrad, the second set of four instructions. Instruction number five, six, seven, and eight. And that's what I want to talk about today. And we have in the past few weeks talked quite a bit about joy and ease, piti and sukha, these really important qualities that we want to get to know, not just in our formal meditation practice, but joy is a neutral Arising, you know, we get joy watching a horror film sometimes or a, going to the amusement park. It isn't always a spiritual joy. But whenever there's that rapt attention, right, the energy gets kind of concentrated. And uh, the joy that we're looking at is what's causing the mind to be wrapped, to be held, to be collected and gathered is the mind the wisdom of the mind is beginning to sense this underlying truth that everything is happening on its own. First, in regards to the body, when the mind has a peaceful and intimate relationship with body, this is the fourth step, then there's this nice embodied calm and well-being. And we want to get really good, but we've talked about that in the past, really good at recognizing that. But that helps a lot of the sort of defensiveness and aggressiveness of our mind relax. And then we can sense that activity of the present moment. The body and mind, the activity of the body and the mind, the activity of everything is activity. It's a movement. And we can start to sense the movement without the friction of fear, without that habit of wanting to control or make something go away or make something happen. And remember, it's not going to be perfect joy. It's just kind of the beginnings, the edges of where the mind is just letting things be and therefore can experience how things are just flowing, moving, fluttering, activity without friction, right? And that's felt as a kind of lightness a joyful interest, a, a lightness of heart. And we can learn to keep it in mind. 
And when that skill gets developed and builds a little momentum, it will naturally result in a kind of contentedness coming online. It just sort of will come into the forefront, but we can invite it in, right? Because right now we're learning the map. So don't expect contentment to come in as a big wave. You might need to invite. Can the heart be at ease with conditions? Can the heart be content? Can the heart allow these conditions of the mind and body to be? Can the heart relax, be undefended, be at ease, right? So that's that next step, the sixth step, where we're contemplating, we're keeping ease, the ease of contentment, the ease of just letting things be. We're keeping that in mind. We're choosing to keep it in mind. Not ill at ease. We're not keeping ill at ease in mind, right? And, you know, this is a real serious retraining of the mind because we prefer to keep things that seem to trigger being ill at ease in mind, you know, the irritants. But we're specifically keeping ease of heart in mind. Sorry about the sunshine. It's a beautiful fall day in New England. <laughs> Leaves are just beginning to turn. So you see a lot of sunshine coming in. Let me just shift this a little. There we go. And then when we get really good at sensing the ease as we're breathing in and out, then there's this important shift that needs to happen. Now the ease and the joy is falling into the background, but it's had its effect, right? It's not going away. We're in a sense keeping it in the background. So in the foreground, we can realize the shift in attitude toward mental activity. So as I'm breathing in, there can be this awareness of mental activity, but now wisdom can know mental activity. That means observing what my mind is perceiving and the feeling tone that comes with the perceptions and the thoughts that might arise, the intentions to do this and do that, planning mind, for example. It's gonna notice that normal ordinary mental activity, but because of the grounding of joy and ease, that observation of thinking of mental activity has a lot of natural dispassion. Oh yeah, it's just thoughts being known. We're neither for nor against the thoughts being known. Oh yeah, just mental activity being known. And you need to sort of have that sense of just being the relaxed, easeful observer. Oh yeah, now the mind is thinking this. Now the mind is perceiving that. <clears throat> now there's this feeling tone related to this thought, to this emotion, to this conception. We learn a lot about mental proliferation here precisely because we're not trying to control mental proliferation. And there's a real insight with steps seven and eight. So seven is observing mental activity with dispassion. Eight is noticing how this dispassionate observation of mental activity quiets mental activity. So the eighth one is observing the quieting of the mind. 
there's less of that mental activity precisely because wisdom is leaving it alone. We're neither suppressing mental activity or getting attached, identified, and spinning with it, mentally proliferating with it. It's this middle ground we call wise observation or wise knowing. And that wisdom is that wisdom of dispassion. And it feels really good. It's kind of a natural blossoming of the ease of contentment is this kind of, it has sort of that equanimity vibe to it, that space, like there's that space of dispassion. Oh yeah, sure there's mental activity. Oh sure, I'm thinking about Monday and what I have to do on Monday. But is that really a problem? Does it have to be a problem that there's this thought, oh, I got to do this tomorrow? Does the heart need to react? Does the heart even need to think about that? So there's a thought, but maybe it can just be that thought. And this is a really important place to contemplate. And it will be, a, for some of you, a retraining because a lot of us have thought that meditation was about squashing thoughts, getting rid of thoughts, turning away from thoughts. But here specifically with step seven and step eight, we're noticing this powerful Dharma move, which is if we just allow thinking and other mental activity to be what it is, given that there's some base, not a perfect base, but some base of joy and ease in the heart, the mind will quiet down. This is the real art of quieting the mind, letting it be, right? Because we, it always feels like we can think our way to a quiet mind. <laughs> but take it from me and take it from your own lived experience, because I'm assuming you've learned the same lesson. We can't think our way out of mental proliferation. Mental proliferation leads to one thing, mental proliferation. And either in that step seven and eight, either the way the mind, the way wisdom is relating to the present moment, like keeping mental activity in mind, either we're going to be relating to mental activity in a way that winds up mental activity, or in a way that unwinds, allows that tendency you could say that dependence on mental activity to unwind. And that's how I like to think of it, that we're undoing this unneeded dependency on mental activity. And because it's been such a prevalent habit, we've gotten into the habit of thinking that thinking is essential. And in a weird way, we're afraid of a quiet mind, a mind that's relatively empty of thought, simply because it's not recognized, because <laughs> we haven't seen it very often. And when we do notice a mind that's relatively quiet, we tend to want to think about it. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. The mind's relatively quiet. Maybe I'm becoming a good Buddhist. I should probably tell somebody about this. You know, or, oh, this is a really good feeling. What can I do to hold on to it? 
But one way or another, we generally get sucked in because of the force of habit. It's not that we're bad. It's just a very deeply wired habit of the mind. When it's a bad experience, difficult, painful experience, we want to think about it. If it's a really beautiful, pleasant experience, we want to think about it. And strangely, even if it's a neutral experience, we want to think about it like, God, there's got to be something interesting that can happen because nothing's happening. We think about that too. It's like all roads, in terms of our habit energies, all roads lead to more mental proliferation. So the Buddha discovered this really skillful, lawful way. The first four instructions are healing the mind's way of relating being with the body. And that sets up a really nice bodily experience of calm. Not because suddenly the body's fixed all of its ailments, but rather because the mind has learned not to have a problem with the body as it actually is. So what's healed isn't the, our aches and pains. I mean, may, we're definitely not adding to them, but those aches and pains, those injuries, those problems that come with old age or whatever, they haven't changed. What's changed is the mind that's knowing the body is not having a problem with the body. It's deciding to just let the body be. And then that allows us to begin to discern the presence of joy. There's joy in the moment, keeping joy in mind, keeping ease of heart and contentment in mind, and letting that be the beginnings of being able to observe mental activity free of identification and attachment. Breathing in, experiencing mental activity. Breathing out, experiencing mental activity. And it's really nice to use that word dispassion to reform it. Passion means, is that activity, it's kind of a restlessness of the mind, the mind looking for ground and using thought to create ground. But thinking never leads to a satisfied ground, permanent, fixed landing place for the heart and mind. It's always an uneasy landing place. It does give on the surface, temporary surface, a semblance, you know, when I have a thought about things, a fixed idea about things, it can feel momentarily like, you know, solid ground. But it's not. We have to keep patching it up, keep thinking. So there's a real turning point when we begin to sense the pleasure of dispassion here with step seven. Breathing in, observing mental activity, experiencing mental activity. There's only one way to do that. That honest observation of mental activity can only happen with dispassion. The other way is to get identified with the thoughts and feed that process of proliferation. So if we you know, do the messy work, it can be messy at least, of breathing in, experiencing mental activity, breathing out, experiencing mental activity. We'll see those two ways of relating. 
a way of being with mental activity that leads to the mind getting identified and part, you know, absorbed in the mental proliferation, the conceptual proliferation, the endlessness of that. I mean, that's really synonymous with samsara, the never-ending cycles of suffering that we talk about in Buddhism. Or in being aware of mental activity as I'm breathing in and breathing out, is there that sense of, like sometimes we think about it as stepping back, like there's more space so that the mental activity is being observed in this wider, bigger space. It's just stuff coming and going, just mental activity, perceptions, thoughts, feelings, whatever, coming and going. And we know we're doing that being with mental activity skillfully when we see the quieting effect because it's not being fed. Mental proliferation is fed through the process of identification with thought, being attached, clinging, trying to get something through the process of thinking or trying to get rid of something through the process of thinking or trying to fix something, make something solid through the process of thinking, all of which is, of course, stressful, endlessly burdensome for our heart. And yet, we do it over and over and over again. And the key all the way through, all 16 steps, as I've been talking about these last few months, is we want to conjoin joy or pleasure with every step. But of course, as we go along, now we're kind of in the middle of the Buddhist instructions, the steps are going to get more subtle. So the, the pleasure, the inner pleasure, or sometimes in Buddhism we call it the unworldly pleasure, as opposed to the kind of worldly pleasures of a, having a nice day with a friend or getting a good massage or, you know, whatever. There are these unworldly pleasures and dispassion and the quieting of the mind is a very particular and important unworldly pleasure to get to know. The Buddha is really encouraging us to develop a taste for that pleasure. It's really a pleasure, an ongoing pleasure of letting go. The whole 16 steps, the whole spiritual path is an attunement to the refining pleasure of letting go. So the first step, when we just even have a, the first sense of being present, we're feeling the pleasure of letting go of distractedness. Then we feel the pleasure of letting go of attending to the diversity of my experience because I'm just with the breath. Then I let go of the dependence on the exclusive meditation object to have a more inclusive, so this like a presence that doesn't depend on a specific object. Leave me a note if uh, my internet gets a little off. I see it's a little times unstable and I can switch if I have to. So I was just saying that every step is we're discerning a pleasure related to letting go, letting go of distraction, letting go of diversity of experience, letting go of exclusiveness, 
letting go of seeing the problems of the body, but just accepting the body as it is, letting go of control, that's really joy. Joy is the mind deciding it doesn't have to be in control. And then that's joy. And then the ease is really letting go of any kind of armor, any sort of defense. Like, oh, I don't have to create a barrier, a separation. And that's that easeful relaxation of the heart into contentment. It's like, I don't have to hold it all together. I don't have to hold a defense together. It's really that, ah. And that sets up this letting go of trying to, to be, you know, the sense of needing to be identified or needing to do something with mental activity. It continues because it has momentum, mental activity. But now I'm not feeding it. I'm just letting the nature of the thinking mind be that nature. And that's what quiets, quiets it down. So then we're letting go of any dependence on even meaning, conceptual meaning. Because as the mind gets quieter and quieter, we have to learn the pleasure of quietness, the non-dependence on the meaning that conceptual activity temporarily gives us moment by moment. Because now the mind isn't spinning very much conceptual meaning. And so we're weaning ourselves off of the habit of dependence on meaning, conceptual meaning, and enjoying learning, it's a learning, to enjoy quietude. The mind that's not very active. And we call this often tranquility of the mind. The first tranquility is more of an embodied tranquility. Now it's that quietude. And there's something like when we're feeling that calmness in the body, we notice the body doesn't want to move. It doesn't mean the body's perfect, but it doesn't want to move. It's calm. And when we notice the tranquility of the mind, we realize the mind doesn't want to move. That's when we realize that the mind is appreciating the quietude. We've really gotten good at that eighth instruction where we're recognizing the quietude means we're appreciating it as a wholesome pleasure. A quiet mind is a wholesome pleasure, and we know it's a wholesome pleasure because the mind loses its interest in generating more thought because it's appreciating the relative absence of thought, the relative quietude. And there's a kind of, strangely, you know, to use these words, it's a little weird to say solid, but there's something really um, stable with that mental tranquility. You'll sense that stability, that solidity in a kind of energetic uh, heart sense. Like the mind that normally is full of doing stuff doesn't feel obliged to be doing anything. That sort of the beginning of that sense of non-doing. And not surprisingly, and this will move on, uh, Shelley Graff will be teaching next Sunday morning, but I'll be back the following two Sundays in October and then 
several Sundays in November, and we'll move into the third tetrad then, where because of that quietude of the mind, we can begin to experience the space of the mind. And, you know, it's hard to do it right in English, but we want to distinguish the activity of the mind, which is really what we're working on with the second tetrad. We're using the pleasant quality of joy and ease and dispassion and quietude to um, really get the, a sense of the activity of the mind quieting down, like the skillful way of relating to the activity of the mind. Now with the third tetrad that we're gonna to go to in the future weeks, we're gonna learn how to recognize the space, not the activity of the mind, but the space of the knowing mind, the space of awareness, the space of the present moment. Don't expect any of the words to be exactly right. They're just pointers to an experience that's always here. It's just rather subtle, so mostly it's gone unnoticed. But as we're developing our meditation practice, we're gonna be more attuned to the subtlety of the space of the mind. Oh, the space of the mind is like this. But it really depends on this dispassion because in order to recognize the space of the mind, we have to do the work, the training of the second tetrad really sincerely. We have to be able to look at mental activity without getting hooked. And we should have a lot of respect. It's not easy to be aware of our mental activity. Even when we see our mental activity is really stupid, you know, really silly, like just thinking thoughts I've thought a million times before, still we want to think about how stupid is it is that I'm thinking those thoughts. So it's it's very tricky how the mind's response to any experience is to think about it. That's a deeply ingrained habit, but it's just an impersonal habit. And the mind can be retrained. And that part of the discovery of the Buddha is what really helps in that retraining is to have spent some time uh, attuning to joy, ease, and contentedness because that gives a kind of buffer. In a, in a sense, the mind, the mental activity is not so hungry because we're feeling good, we're feeling content. And because of this desperation of hunger, like I need something to do, I need something to figure out, I need something to fix. Instead, there's that kind of more pervasive ease. And then that really sets up being with mental activity in a newer way, in a non-attached way. Oh, it's just mental activity. Here, let me read a little bit from Ajahn Sumedho, this wonderful elder in our Western early Buddhist Theravada Buddhism tradition. And I mentioned this uh, <clears throat> chapter in one of his booklets on Anapanasati earlier on in the summer when I was beginning these series of talks. And he's here talking, I think, about what this talk is about. He writes, the more we take the easy way, the path of least resistance, 
the more we just follow our desires, the more the mind becomes sloppy, heedless, and confused. It is easy to think, easier to sit and think all the time than to not think. It is a habit we've acquired. Even the thought, I shouldn't think, is just another thought. To avoid thought, we have to be mindful of it, to put forth effort by watching and listening, by being attentive to the flow in our minds. Rather than just thinking about our mind, we watch it. Rather than getting caught in thoughts, we keep recognizing them. Thought is a movement. It is energy. It comes and goes. It is not a permanent condition of the mind. Without evaluating or analyzing, when we simply recognize thought as thought, it begins to slow down and stop. This isn't annihilation. This is allowing things to cease. It is compassion. As the habitual obsessive thinking begins to fade, great space we never knew were there begin to appear. Great spaces we never knew were there begin to appear. Isn't that beautiful? So remember, we're learning this map, but we're really talking about a lifetime, who knows, maybe many lifetimes of practice to develop each of these four tetrads. So that's just an invitation to be patient with yourself and to have a lot of respect. The thinking mind is not personal. It's not out to get us. It's not for sure something to hate. But it is something to respect because as a habit, a force of nature, it has momentum. And we need to be patient with that. Here's something from one of, another one of my teachers, Saida Utejaniya. It is not easy to see the mind. When you do see the mind, it's not easy for understanding to arise. Defilements are even tougher to understand. You must always, always be interested in the mind and continually learn about it. So I encourage people as homework to just get interested in calling upon contentment and ease. Remember, it will be faint. It will be what it is. Sometimes, some moments... Stronger, some moments not so strong. But from that place of relative contentment, relative ease, then you can observe thought, the thinking mind, all the mental activity, like even right now. And just to recognize that fork in the road. You know, I can relate, I can be aware of the mental activity in a way that leads to more mental proliferation, identification, or there is a way for me now. How's the thumbs up if you can hear me okay now? Okay, yeah, coming and going. Sorry about that. But anyway, I was just saying, 
or we can relate to the present moment in a way that leads to that quietude. And it really involves that sense of space. Wisdom has that sense of space, a stepping back, a sense that thoughts are just thoughts. So when we're involved, identified with thoughts, there's none of that space. So, and that space is really related to that sense of ease. Because that ease of contentment is, a, is the beginning of the mind letting go of trying to get something from the moment. It's at ease, it's content. So it's, it's willing to let the moment be the moment. That's where the beginning of that sense of space, spaciousness, that wisdom that's beginning to learn to just let things be. And then we can observe thoughts, then thoughts will really quiet down. Then we can learn to appreciate the quietude instead of initially maybe being suspicious of it, like I'm not sure, so sure I like the quiet mind. I liked it theoretically, but actually it's a little scary. It's kind of that it can in moments have the flavor of death, like we've associated life with neurotic thinking and now there's no neurotic thinking and now like, I'm not so sure. So it's an acquired taste, check it out. No, don't, don't trust anybody, what they say about it, just relax with it and see if you like it, if you like that quietude. And it doesn't get in the way, like in the next moment when you need to talk to your lover or discipline your kid or make sure your dog's doing the right thing, you might find that you have your voice and you can get involved with mental proliferation or at least thought, and it's not a problem. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.